0: You gotta make sacrifices for your team. To answer your question. Hello, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Inside Position with me, Tom Halpin. Today's guest is Jiu Jitsu Belt and one of the top 66 kilo grapplers in the world, Ashley Williams. Ash has had some great results in competition as of late, and he's set to compete at the upcoming ADCC World Championships in what's set to be one of the biggest grappling tournaments of all time. I've recently had the opportunity to train with Ash and it was great to talk to him about some of the training methodologies that they've been using over there. We also had a great chat about different lessons he's taken from other professional sports as well as much more. Just a quick reminder as well, if you're enjoying the podcast and you haven't already, it would be great if you could leave a positive review and also subscribe to avoid missing any future episodes. There's some big episodes of the podcast coming up soon, some of the top grapplers in the world And also the podcast will be branching out a small bit, so stay tuned for those. But for now, let's get started with another episode of Inside Position with Ash Williams. Hey Ash, thanks for coming on the show.
1: No worries Tom, thanks for having me.
0: I wanted to start off with the first time I met you, which was probably, I'd say about maybe seven years ago in Miami. And it was funny because back then I actually met as well, like Purple Belt, Craig Jones, Purple Belt, Dante Leon. And I was just wondering how... How was your experience in the sport back then maybe compared to now because I know you're at a super high level now but people don't see a lot of the sacrifice and travel and all those things that go into it.
1: That's a cool question because uh, actually um I was redoing my IBJF um certificate the other day and I looked at like my tournaments I'd done and um it was Miami Open 2014 I believe it was <laughs> which is uh yeah which is when I saw you at Miami and uh it was just cool for me because I I actually knew who you were when I got there. And it's nice to meet you and say hello, you know, and um, have someone to help me out a little bit. Because when you start traveling for comps, um, especially because stateside or something bigger, it's so nice to have someone who kind of just goes like, oh, luck, you know, we'll sort of lift out you to the tournament or something very simple, mm-hmm. you know. Like, it, it, it does really go a, lot, like, uh, a long way when you start getting some of those situations. But it's true because what you're saying about, like, life is a lot different, you know, once you start to... Uh, build your reputation up and get on to pro shows and get treated probably like a pro professional athlete should, you know. Uh, I remember Miami was actually one of the worst afternoons of my life. <laughs> so I, uh, I was, uh, Katie, uh, my wife and I, we were on Miami Beach and we like we were catching public transport everywhere. And we only had two backpacks and we were on a month-long trip when, uh, <laughs> when we actually ran into there. And uh, we walked along Miami Beach with these two backpacks on and I had a couple of Naga belts because I'd done Naga the week before. So like the back, I was rammed to the brim. Katie's 40-odd kilograms carrying this like 15-kilo bag. <laughs> and I think we, we were in the heat for maybe like 40 minutes just walking. And at one point, I had a double bag. So the bag on my front, bag on my back. And I was like, if we don't get to a bus soon, I'm literally chucking the bags in the seat. And I'm just going back to my <laughs> motel, man. You know, like, like when you get into different places you've not been, um, you get into like some shit situations, or you're like, ah, oh, I could do without this today, you know? Uh, I think I was competing, like, the next day as well, yeah, and I was just trips around in this, like, 40-degree heat. But it was weird, obviously, to to meet uh, someone like yourself, because you actually did. You sort me a lift out to the comp and home uh, when I was there, and obviously you were training at uh, cyborgs and staying in, like, their, fi- their version of their fighter's house. So, yeah, so it was uh, super nice, but obviously experience is different now when you travel. You know, you shoot a message out, and you kind of get a couple of replies, and people will kind of branch out and reach out but yeah we were staying like this dingy motel eating one (laughs) dollar cheeseburgers from like um a fast food place across the street so yeah life has changed a little bit i would say
0: i remember we used to love going there there was like a supermarket down the road that was kind of real budget kind of cuban style supermarket and we used to go every couple of days because the portion sizes from the deli were huge and the price was cheap so we used to like go there. and We used to add in our own little bit of potatoes or rice or something on the on the tiny budget. Like,
1: uh man, when you're on those sort of budgets, when you're trying to make a name for yourself, <laughs> I remember like we left university, like our whole life savings. We were kind of like, should we, should we try and get a house and start settling down, or should we kind of give jiu jitsu a crack, you know? And um, fast forward eight, seven, eight years, and I suppose it was worth giving it a go, you know. So it was a excellent trip, but it's big time you know, like where like people. Will, don't realize how much you have to commit to the sport mm. to get something back, you know.
0: Yeah, it's cool to see all that stuff paying off, though. And even the effort you went through to keep the Naga belts. Like now, you've upgraded to the different Polaris belts, looking for <laughs> ADCC and all the other ones. I don't know if you do the same now for the for the Naga belts, like.
1: <laughs> uh, man, I would. If it was now, I'd literally slung the Naga belts in the sea. And I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even thought about it. I'd be like, nah, I can't keep characters around this heat. Um, maybe if it was an you know, ADCC medal, I think I'd keep that one on me. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the knockabouts could have uh, could do it right now.
0: <laughs> and how has your like mindset and your self image in regards to your competition changed since then? Because even met you maybe three years ago at different competitions around, and I remember thinking then like, geez, Ash is very hard on himself, or he's talking up the other people, or kind of making yourself into the underdog. And fast forward to now, and it's the opposite. You know, so I feel like your self-talk is probably some of the strongest I've actually come across now. Was that something that you did consciously or how did that evolve um, and develop?
1: Yeah, since you said that, because I like put a belt if you'd met me. I think I was one of the, more confident, one of the most confident competitors mm. you would come across. Um, and I was always competing in the UK. and um, I was going on like stupid win streaks, you know, like, mm. um, and I was feeling, feeling great about myself. And then when I got to brown and black and I started traveling more. I don't know whether it was like the, like, you know, like UK people shouldn't win in America or shouldn't beat Brazilians Mm. and stuff. And I don't know if that that type of stuff had um, anything to do with it. But when I started traveling, I was getting a loss here, a loss there. I was kind of suffering with feeling if I was good enough to compete outside of the UK, like on the Mm. European scene. And then when I got to black belt, I kind of had like a 50-50 record. And i got to be honest, I, I would say when I was getting, when I first got to EBI, I really was... If you'd asked me should I have been on there, I would have probably said, I don't think I'm actually good enough. But I had a lot of people comment online and Eddie Bravo actually messaged Mm. me to say, do I want to come in? And I thought I had nothing to lose at that point. So I was like, yeah, I'll compete, you know, and just see what happens. But the truth is, a few years back, if you'd asked me, like, uh, my penultimate goal, like, what would really tip my career off, it would have been to get to ADCC. Mm. Um, And you fast forward to now and when I've started competing against those guys and started to realize like they're just human and the jitsu is actually not this magical thing that you think you know like America or Brazil like you need so over the last three years in particular I would say one I've actually started doing some of the work I knew I needed to do yeah. so I knew I needed to do some more lifting strength and conditioning clean up my diet uh which I did and it made me feel a lot better um, I started reading a lot more and trying to increase my understanding um, of not just stuff to do with training, just like life, you know, in general.
0: Yeah.
1: And I got to be honest, like, I've actually, I want not say upgraded my circle, but I feel like uh, the people I'm surrounded by are also much stronger now. So yeah. like, you know, when you're surrounded by people going like, oh, can you believe you're competing against Imanari, mm-hmm. then it makes me go oh, no, yes, it's mad, isn't it? Like, this is insane that I get to compete against him Ari. But if you ask me now, like, do you want to compete against him Ari? I'd be like, oh, yeah, if you want me to. Like, I'll do it tomorrow. It's not, it's not a big deal. You know, like, mm. he's, he's good, but I'm also good at jiu-jitsu, you know, and I I kind of proved that over and over again. Um, and I almost got to the point where I started getting frustrated that people were putting me at the underdog all the time. Like, I kept getting put on the underdog on every super fight I had, and I was like, how many more people have got to beat to prove that I'm actually of any high caliber, you know, but yeah, I I do think self-talk and how I uh, view myself now is just so considerably different. And if I fought in ADCC two, three years back, I don't know. I don't think it could have gone anywhere near as good as this one can go because, Mm. um, I feel comfortable. I feel good about this one. You know, I feel like I want to be there Where before I would have been like, Oh, thank God I made it there. Um, kind of let's just go enjoy the experience.
0: Yeah. And building that team and having everyone on the same page, was that something conscious again that you had to work on or is it just something that kind of naturally happened from everyone pushing for the same goals and stuff?
1: Um, I think it's a bit of both to be honest. We had like um, a couple of individuals leave the team and you you always get surprised I think like when you don't realise if someone's a detriment or actually an improvement on the team and it's not even to say it's nothing to do with people being like a bad person it's just the fact that if you got different goal sets or different ambitions, then you kind of, you need to go after them in the way you see best fit, you know? And we lost a few guys off, off the team, uh, back in a day where we were trying to get like a full-time team going. And we were all a bit gutted. We were like, oh man, our team is halved in size. But the guys who remained all kind of were like, cool, well, what's the plan? You know, what, where are we going to go with this? Mm. And then kind of the, the drag, um, kind of team evolved and we kind of made a unified name between the two primary gyms in Swansea. And uh, ever since then, it's been a case of leading from the front and all the coaches lead from the front. And I'll give it to all of our highest grades that are competing, put themselves on the line every single weekend. And one of the best things I think the team do as a whole now is we celebrate on and off the mats together. You know, like Mm. we train hard all week, but we'll always spend time together off the mats go enjoy some downtime together. And I think all the individuals we've got now, are, you know, a high percentage of them, uh, they do take great care in not just the training aspect of of being an athlete. You know, like, there's so many different elements that make a great athlete, uh, whether it be mindset, uh, like, even just simple stuff like, you know, like, keeping time, uh, as in, like, being, keeping your calendar organised. There's nothing worse than you message all the boys and go, oh, do you want to go compete on, um, like, three against time and i was like oh i don't even really know if i got something on and when you want to compete in jiu-jitsu you kind of need to know you know you kind of need yeah. to know like important dates and kind of things that's coming up um and we've got like a a, a probably a 10 12 guys where if you message like right now saying we're competing on saturday they'll be like yeah let's go like it, it wouldn't even be questions asked you know no. and once you've kind of got that it just motivates you to want to do better do bigger things do better things um like I think we're going to try and target the IBF European Nogi um, mm. as a team because we, we went to the British Nogi Open and we won the team trophy, um, which was actually like, I think we're the only team to ever have beaten Gracie Baja in the British Open um, in a team event. So that was a massive momentum boost. And then this year, we've just focused so much on trying to grow on and off the mats. And I think that's important. Though. Like If you want to be a successful competitive team together, I think they like, just turn up two hours a day. I don't think that's enough to like mold and blend and trust each other and show that, you know, you really, uh, cause you know, like it's an individual sport, but at the end of the day you can't do without, you can't do without being surrounded by people. Yeah. True. You've got practice just by yourself and you can't do it by yourself. Mm. So you need other people around you. And that's where I think our team um, spirit and kind of atmosphere has come from is the fact that we understand we all need each other and we want each other, you know, we want to have that team. So um, it's been a massive thing for me over the last year, is having those people who share that goal and kind of mindset of yeah this is achievable you know we can do this um if anything the guys on my team are probably some of the best guys to promote my self talk because mm-hmm. if i ask them, like oh what do you think of me if i compete against fabio andre mm-hmm. they'll be like oh yeah you got him no stress and i'm like how well, i do know how good he is <laughs> like, <laughs> like fair, you know like but anyone i name they're all they all just got like this unwavering faith that like you know, we can do it. It's not me. It's not I can do it. It's mm. a we can do it as a team. You know, we can prepare the, the way we need to. And then I can perform the way I need to, you know? Yeah, that's something I was
0: really impressed with when I was over there was the overall team spirit. And that everyone, like everyone wants to do the best for themselves. But they also realize that to do the best for themselves, they kind of have to do the best for the team and help everyone to get better. And again, that positivity really rubs off on everyone, you know. But as well, even the training methods you're using and stuff. It's a bit different than other gyms that I've been to and like, especially the active drilling and everything, how would you and your brother, Josh, find new training methods? Would it just be experimenting or would you be putting certain thought into it? Or um, how that so
1: process? I would say, I think there's two key elements to the, the team's growth and development. One would be um, for myself in terms of traveling and seeing what other teams are doing. And then the second one will come from Josh and his research into good training, Methodologies And what other people Are doing in terms of um, Not even just our sport That's the the key thing I think Jiu Jitsu Mm. What people don't understand Jiu Jitsu is very young
0: Yeah
1: You know So like I just don't think that When when someone says to you Like Like Michael Musmaggi You know I drill 12 hours a day You know I I drill 12 hours a day The rugby players Professional rugby players Do not train 12 hours a day They don't And football players Don't train 12 hours a day Football and rugby Have been around for a lot longer And they've they've got got the money yeah and they've got incredibly professional setups. yeah so they've done all the research they've got the best guys in, and they know the optimal amount of training, and I just don't feel like twelve hours a day is that is the answer to that
0: no there's a lot of Maybe. diminishing returns going on there, like isn't there
1: a hundred percent and and I think one thing we've tried to do is is minimize you know how much we're gonna lose from diminishing returns in in our training um I said you know I've traveled a fair bit and been to a lot of different gyms, and one of the things I enjoy the most with traveling to other gyms is that I get to come home. <laughs> you know like i like i just I, like i get to come back to my my teammates and train with them and mm. and keep doing what we're doing and then um jamie and uh josh or my, my brother and, and jamie Dix through lockdown i think like they were living together so what they did is they they had mats and the setup and i think they were looking into at the time a lot of what like Lanager and mm. Espin. And different people were doing, and then they started just doing different training methods. And when we came back and kind of reopened, they started implementing a lot of their ideas. Because I've got to be honest, I'm I'm still a slightly old school in my, my mentality uh, because nothing is a more fun day to me than just putting a five minute timer on <laughs> and just just sparring for the two hours. You know, like that's that's yeah. my. But is that conducive to the best progress? Hundred mm. percent not. You know, there's no way it is, and it, it can't be necessary to do two hours of five-minute rounds a day to get better at sport, you know? So, yeah, I would say, like, in terms of innovation for our training methodology, it's got to be uh, Josh and, and Jamie kind of are the spearheads, you know? I just bring kind of, like, I'll go away and I'll come back and I'll be like, oh, guys, look, we're not playing enough of this type of style of leg locking or we're yeah. not doing enough of like, this style of passing. And then I kind of, I'll say that, and then Josh and Jamie will implement it, to be fair to them. You know, they are really the masterminds behind what the team is doing
0: yeah and then everyone gets to learn from each other as well just by feel both offense and defense and obviously everyone is pretty high level in the team so
1: oh uh, yeah for sure like um i think in terms of progress year on year i would say the guys are just exponentially getting better and it's just it's so wonderful to see you know, so nice it's so nice to see their hard work paying off um and to be fair when you are using the methods we use to train if you're using them correctly and you're doing what you should be doing, you know, like, um, you know, we had, uh, you would go over the like last few weeks, um, which the boys loved and it was great to them the match to you. And I, I thought, it was, um, I thought you were a brilliant training partner, you especially in active drilling. But since you've left, like, I've literally been darting people <laughs> like left, right, and center. Nice. But if you use the training methodology, you know, correctly, you should be able to put it into your game and, and then, actually be able to do it at a competitive level you know i find that in jiu-jitsu gyms like the biggest issue is people just go like oh look this is a technique go spar, you know <laughs> you, you drill it like five times and then you spar it you can't do it so yeah. then you just forget about it you know but the way we were drilling when you were here um i felt like i was learning loads and and since you've gone i've kept that going and now it's fitting into my game nicely so yeah. that's what you want to happen isn't it, you know
0: Yeah, definitely. And even the the training you're doing as a squad off the mats as well, I find is very beneficial, like tape study, lifting together as a team, you know, even just having lunch after and chatting about how the training went and giving each other feedback and all these kind of things. These are kind of easy things to do. It doesn't take much out of your body, but it all adds up if you're doing that week in, week out.
1: 100% agree. You know, like um, what we're doing off the mats as a team is simply what I just class as accountability. You know, like the way mm-hmm. the, the main thing I would think is the best way to think about what we do with each other. And accountability can actually only work between people who either have respect for each other or trust each other. You know, someone who you don't really respect or trust, if they try to hold you accountable, you automatically just go like what what do you want about? Like, like <laughs> why do I need do why do I need like your approval? Why do I need you to um you know, believe in what I'm doing. You know, but when it's all your teammates and you can have that raw kind of um, relationship, enough that you can be like, "Look, man, today, you know, this this wasn't going, or like you need to be doing this." So we look at someone's tape study and we give some feedback, and you know, it's in front of each other as well. You know, so we're watching someone compete and they make a mistake and we we highlight and look through it. Um, and it's very easy for people to get defensive in those situations, mm-hmm. but I really think the team is embracing, uh, same as lifting. You know, like we just try to like. I would say pretty much none of us enjoy actually lifting weights. You know, we don't actually physically enjoy the act of it, Mm. but when you're with the boys and you're having a good time and you know, you keep each other on, um, it's motivational. It was really motivational. Like it's nice. Like I said, like I would say like three years ago, our team looked like a chess club, Mm. but you know, but did jujitsu, you know? Yeah. But now we're all starting to look like athletes. Mm. And it's always nice. You know, you walk in and someone says, Oh man, you're looking in shape today. Like, it goes a long way. You know, that does really go a long yeah. way because, to be fair, to to be in good shape and to perform at the level we do, it requires a lot of hard work, you yeah. know? So it is very nice when it gets recognized. And uh, off the mat, I think that's what we're doing the best, you know, with matching between... Like, today, we literally... We actually talked about the, the book you recommended, With Winning in Mind. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we are discussing the book, With Winning in Mind, and uh, we were all kind of just trying to think, think think, about positive stuff, not even, like, just to each other, but about ourselves and just be yeah. open enough to say that out loud in front of each other. Um, to say like, you know, like, ah, oh, I believe my guard passing is good. You know, like, yeah. not think it's good or oh, I yeah. think it's not bad. Like, those those terminologies, they, they, it's not the same thing. You know, you've got to just put the statement out there and be comfortable yeah. with saying it, you know?
0: And I know recently you've been working as well with the the Cliently Scarlets, so yeah. the professional rugby team. I was in there one day helping you out as well and it was great to just have a look at a, a pro setup. I was wondering how it's been doing a few little wrestling trainings with them and what you've learned from being around proper professional athletes. Cause I know in jiu-jitsu, we're professional athletes, but it's professional athletes within kind of an unprofessional setup a lot of the time. So how have you taken some of the lessons from there?
1: What hundred percent agree with what you're saying there. At the end of the day jitsu is a bunch of amateurs acting like professionals essentially. I mean like yeah. that is kind of what the sport is entailed. And, um, you know, it's going to take time to grow, but, and you know, you need finances to back that up as well. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, we've been we've been doing wrestling with Scarlets. We've been enjoying it. It's been um, really interesting. Great experience for myself. Uh, one of the main things I love about going down there is you kind of forget how much enjoyment someone can get from the training being changed up a fraction. Yeah. So when they talk about the other training they do when I talk to them, they kind of enjoy the wrestling because it's like a breath of fresh air. Even though it's hard work, they enjoy the different outlook on it, you know? Because I would say that they do genuinely they view they actually view their training as the job. Yeah. You know, true. they do view, they do actually view the training as the job. You know, it's like like for example, every session without doubt when I'm coaching, every single pretty much every single squad is there, even all the injured ones that can't take part. But in a jiu jitsu gym, if you're injured generically you would just not go. <laughs> yeah. Do yeah, which is madness. You know, you wouldn't go to watch or nothing, you know, like as not like yeah. but they they are basically scheduled to be there from 8 a.m. till 2 p.m. that's their job that's what they're doing and they're working pretty much the entire time you yeah. know like so I think they they even though that they, it's a bit, bit bit you you know you've got two sides to that coin because I would say I turn up every day because I love it and I would turn up for free but I don't know if they would do the same mm-hmm. but then the results they're getting and how disciplined they are Um is very very good to see, you know, like when you actually wrestle their backs, and you know you got guys even as light as seventy kilograms, they're so strong, Mm. physical monsters. You know they're very incredibly good at what they do. And then the second thing I've enjoyed about being down there is the fact that what they actually do is, I think if if you had to put, if you had to like sit somebody down and say like right, write me up what you believe a rugby training session, like a pro rugby team training would look like. I just don't think it is what an average person would would write down on paper. So since being in the setup, I've noticed how much they put emphasis on review, studying, Mm. game tape, their own tape of how they play. Um, Basically, reduce a lot of. They don't do much collision and Mm. reduce as much contact as possible. Um, It's all about for them like trying to maximize rewards with minimal damage to the body. You know, they want to try to they want to save basically their body for game day it's kind of like a box of saving their chin, you know, for, for getting yeah. hit. But jiu-jitsu athletes actually kind of do the opposite, don't the they? Opposite, you know, they yeah. Of, yeah. they spend the exact, they spend most of their time putting yeah. their bodies through hell. Um, and you've got to understand we're in a sport where the, the exact goal of the sport is to destroy each other's ligaments, hmm. you know, like extend each other's limbs, turn them in ways they don't want to go. As in, we are literally trying actively to destroy the, the other person's body. So, if we don't take our training in a professional manner, as in like tapping early, like not risking our body for like to save a sweep, for example, you know, um, and save them for game day, you yeah, know, you're only be... helping
0: your future opponents, then aren't you?
1: Exactly, you know, and, yeah. and they are like one of the things they've got, which is unreal, you know, which I've never, I've never seen in any jujitsu gym, you know, even when I've watched like I watched Aoj's comp class, you know, watched their competition class. And they still only had, like, one coach coaching 40 yeah. guys. You know, in, in the rugby setup, they've got they've got, like, the forwards coach, the backs coach, the assistant coaches, young coach, lineup coach, kicking coach, like, two or three physios yeah. on the sides. <laughs> they've got some monitoring, like, they're all wearing stuff that monitors how far they've run, their heart rate through the entire session. You know, like, when you look at the analysis side of what they're doing, it is so much more in depth, and I, I and there's probably teams doing it better than that, you know. Like scouts are a very mm. good pro team, but there's still higher levels, you know. There's still higher levels, and can you imagine if you go to America for like the NFL and and basketball, you know, they, they, like like flip man? Can you imagine what they've got? Yeah, it's just incredible to see how pro athletes work. Should we view our should we view it more as a job? I don't know. I, is the truth mm-hmm. like I can't answer that because I feel like when you start viewing it as a job, you could start to you could start to like begrudge it a little bit, you know? Especially not getting paid the amount of money they would be getting paid, you know? Because if someone said me, oh, 100 grand a year and you've got to train every day, I'm like, man, sign me up, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like, no stress, I will be there five, six hours a day and it will not bother me, you know? Jiu-Jitsu, we could be putting our bodies through hell for literally peanuts.
0: Yeah, and the big difference as well really is that the hobbyists are mixed in with the pros and the pros are actually a pretty small percentage of the hobbyists, so you kind of need each other
1: oh, man for sure the, the, you know most gyms have got more active amateurs than active mm. pros essentially you know it's so yeah. like there's only a couple of professional grapplers there's only a couple of professional grapplers in my opinion in the world only like literally probably less than 10 people make an actual living mm. out of just doing the sport players aren't coaching at the side you know they're not coaching or running their own gym once they finish their session they go home they spend time with their wife and kids and they recover and they do whatever else they mm. need to do but yeah. like they're just doing the sport to get paid These guys don't do that
0: and I wonder then if trying to treat it more like maybe a team sport or a normal sport, would that drive away some of the hobbyists? Because like, for example, one of my friends before here started doing like a beginner's course down in my city. And one day he met, like I had a few messages from him and he was kind of not panicking, but he was like, oh, tell the coach that I'm going to miss training today. And like, uh, I hope I can still do the competition coming up soon because he he was used to playing football on teams that were like pretty high achieving around here. And if you miss training, you won't get to do the match. You know, if you miss yeah. training and you and you don't have a good excuse, you're in trouble with the coach. But I was like, ah, don't worry about it. Loads of people are going to miss training.
1: So, yeah, it's it's just the truth of how the sport goes. You know, like, no one's monitoring, no one's checking that you're doing what you might be doing. And I always say, like, I give it to him credit where it's due. Probably the most professional person in our sport for treating it like a, a professional sport is Gordon Ryan.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to see where it'll go in the next few years because you see even recently, especially in the Nogi side of things, people like Gordon Ryan, the other Americans, they kind of bring the wrestling style approach more into it. They're having good results.
1: I think that's what the sport going to America has done for the sport is it's almost mm-hmm. stolen the setups of other sports. You know, it's kind of it's kind of like Im- it's implementing the professionalism of like wrestling, basketball, American football, and they're just taking those ideas and putting it into jiu-jitsu, which it, it's going to produce good results.
0: Going from maybe up-and-coming black belts to feeling like one of the world's best. Was there a particular moment that was kind of a breakthrough or any breakthrough wins you had where you felt like I'm not just going to adcc to take part, I'm going to be on the podium?
1: Yeah, well I got I still struggle to actually ever say the words I believe I'm one of the best in the world. it's 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 such a it's such a bold, weird statement because yeah essentially you saying like, oh look if you take all the black belts, am I weight in the world, and we all just fought each other? <laughs> then I win do you mean and there's win, a lot yeah. there's so much I and mean, it's yeah. not the fact that I don't believe in my own skill set it's like I got So yeah. much respect for some of the other athletes that's the thing and it comes uh,
0: down to the day sometimes as well you know it's not always the best person who
1: wins 100% you know And like that's what is again like different about the more professional sports in our world is their leagues and they you know so you play each other yeah. like you know every season and then you actually start to get an idea of who is the best mm-hmm. you know but in jiu jitsu and mma it's kind of like Oh like we'll make this guy fight this guy like he's 12th he's third it makes perfect sense I gotta be honest. I think my biggest turnaround was when I fought Ethan Crownstein. I'm honest about it. When I speak to people about it, I legit, I was genuinely driving there, and I was like, "I'm getting paid to do jiu-jitsu. I get a weekend away with the boys, and I'm probably just gonna get absolutely smashed." <laughs> you know, I was, I was literally driving there, just thinking like. What's it matter? It's like great. he's incredible, man. He's in, you know, he's he's training with the best in the world. He's training with uh, at that point they were still down at death squad. I was like, this is just silly, innit? You know, same <laughs> as when I actually drove the fuck Paulo me out. But against Paulo, I actually thought I had a good chance when I fought him, yeah. but only because of how competitively active and how much I felt like I was bringing to the table for the match because I really wanted to win that one. Where yeah. against Ethan, I was kind of like, I'm still up and coming. um I read so many reviews online about how Ethan was gonna just absolutely walk all over me, like, ah, oh, this is gonna be horrendous. And then I kinda of gripped him and I was like, What are you on about? Like you 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 can beat this guy. Like you can beat this guy for sure. Like why, why have you put him like up here in your head? Like what's made him so incredible that you don't kind of deserve to be on the same mats as him, you know? And I think that's I think that's one of the biggest turning points of my career is when it's kind of when I realised I had to not be grateful for an opportunity competing as a high level guy, it was more that I should be there because that's that's what people want to watch, you know, they want to watch yeah. the best compete against each other. Again with ADCC, you know, like if you asked me to compete against any one of those other 15 guys on any given day in a different tournament, if you said to me do you think you can I can win, I'd be like Are You for real, what yeah a hundred percent I'm gonna I could beat him. You know like yeah. but I it's not gonna be easy but you know if you give me any of those guys in Fest or Polaris or any other tournaments I compete in, I'd be like, yep, I can, I'll, I'll beat them for sure, you know, I can do it. So when I'm going there, the only, the only factor in, the only thing to factor in now in it is it's on the day. And it's not just on the yeah. day, it's, it's two days and it's two matches per day. So yeah. that's a lot of variables. If you'd asked me three years ago how I thought I could do ADCC, I would have said, oh, look, I'm going to have to win. I'm going to have to literally perform the best I can. I was like, I'm gonna have to basically do a 99% match. My 100% capabilities is 100%. I have to do 99 four times in a row, even be able to competitively be against these guys. I actually think this time I could hit like 75, you yeah. know, like, or even lower that. I think like just yeah. it doesn't have to be the best version of me. It's just to be the good version of me.
0: Like that's what came against me, really. And it was a tough lesson to learn, but I wanted everything to be perfect, you know, so I could have a great performance, make the most of it. But then it was almost like somewhere in my head, I was telling myself over and over that I wouldn't win unless I was perfect. And obviously perfect doesn't even really exist anyway. You know, like I think trying to get to a point where you're confident that you can win even on your worst day after two hours sleep, after a bad weight cut, when you're feeling a little bit sick and you notice it, the best guys, they still win when they're sick. they still win when there's something going on.
1: I agree with that. When I, when I did the European Nogi, um, a black belt and I won it, I actually (coughs) wasn't going to compete. Because mm. I was overweight, I destroyed my foot the day before in the in the gear I got tall holded and yep. it just popped up. I'm just not going to eat all day if I'm not on weight. I'm just going to go home and I won't give it a second thought. I turned up and I was, I was on weight. I was like, oh well, I'm going to have to compete now, aren't I because I'm I'm on weight, <laughs> so I competed. And I strung together some of the best matches I've ever had. I think like the idea when people are go every now and again it's common. Oh, how you feel how you feel for ADCC? I'm like, does it really matter though? The, does it, does yeah, it actually got to do it because yeah. I've competed like I've about 30 matches this year? Have I been nervous for every single one? Yeah, have I performed my best in every single one? No, have I produced yeah. good results? Yeah, so when you're riding that wave, you've got to understand that it's like any possible vision of yourself should be able to produce the results you want, yeah, um, on that given day, you know, and you've got to have faith inside yourself that that's true. Otherwise, as you said, if you only are willing to believe that the best version of yourself can win. You set yourself up for failure, you know?
0: The best thing is just to go and do it. And, like, I know everyone has a d- has their own kind of mental style or personality that they kind of apply to their competition and stuff. But I notice it myself the best is when I just have a clear mind and I just go
1: and do my moves. I, I like, I just sleep loads. I sleep all day and then <laughs> someone just goes, oh, it's ready to compete. I just get up and I'm like, yeah. I do jujitsu every yeah. day anyway, so let's go, you know?
0: And don't forget the chicken bites after the weigh-in as well.
1: I'm definitely, am, I'm <laughs> like, well, I think I'm going to go to Hooters now because Hooters is, like, similar <laughs> to chicken bites back here, so I think it's going to have to pull from who has You
0: even have it planned out the post way in me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and how are your thoughts for ADCC? Are you excited for it? Are you just getting on with it? Like, like when you imagine the competition or visualize it in your head, what kind of feelings and thoughts do you have for it?
1: I've got to be honest, I know relief is probably not a <clears throat> word people want to hear when someone asks me that response, but essentially, like, if I win, lose or draw, I feel like it's kind of like I don't want to say losing your virginity, but I feel like, doing like, like, once you've done it once, you kind of yeah. know the expectations. Like, do I think I can win this time around? Hot, man, 100%. Like, I I believe I've got the capabilities within me. But if I didn't, it wouldn't deter me. And I'm not sitting here going like, this is my only shot. I've got to hit the balls out. You know, I don't feel like mm-hmm. that. I just feel yeah. like it's where I belong. Over the next five years, I'm going to be there multiple times. And the truth is, it's an interesting event because obviously everyone keeps saying it's the biggest. It's the biggest it's ever going to be. It's not going to be the biggest thing it's going to be, is it? You know, in two years' time, they're trying to try and yeah. make it bigger. So, like, you can't keep saying to yourself, Oh, I'm going to be in the, the event that's the biggest in Jiu history. That's history to now, you know, and where this sport can go in the next 20, 30, 40 years, who knows? So, like, to be under the illusion that, because if you said to me, like, you know, for example, if I asked you, you know, yourself, like, Oh, how do you think you would have <clears> done in ADCC with your current skill set? But when it first started, like 12 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, oh, I'd be the ghost. <laughs> exactly <laughs> like, that, that's what I'm saying like everyone was like, like oh like you know 10 years ago the guys were is as good and I'm sure in 10 more years 10 years uh, time more people will be talking about me and you and they'll be like ah they weren't that good <laughs> <though>, were there <laughs> you know so I may as well just enjoy my moments while I have it you know why not just go out there and enjoy the lights enjoy the fans enjoy the experience and just give my best jujitsu or give the best version of just that day because it's going to be a blink in it you know it's going to come and yeah. go And the truth is, I would rather enjoy my experience than spend so much time worrying about not winning or being pressed by the people or not losing for my team and all this that I'll end up not even enjoying my time there. I'm just going to go enjoy the best experience I can and I honestly, I'm going to fight as hard as I can.
0: I'm looking forward to seeing it. I feel like you're probably going to be one of the favourites whether you like to hear that or not. But it's going to be a great competition. The biggest one in history, as you said. And uh, yeah, thanks for jumping on today. Really appreciate it. And it's always good to chat to you and get some, some different ideas off you as well.
1: Oh, no Tom. It's been great. Like uh, I've had the company now of, uh, over the last few weeks and uh, it's been great getting to know you and on and you've helped massively in my camp. So I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, being not the favorite. <laughs>
0: <laughs> thanks, Ash. Big thanks to Ash for coming on the show. It was really great to get an insight into some of his ideas and training methods both on and off the mat that he believes leads to consistently good performance. There was a lot of great takeaways from this episode, so I hope everyone enjoyed it. As I mentioned before, the next few weeks we'll have some of the top grapplers in the world in the podcast and also be branching out in some other areas of health and performance as well. So I'm really excited to share all those episodes with everyone. If you wanna support the podcast, I'll add some links below in the description. You can check out some of my instructional content down there and also some other useful links. And as usual, if you enjoy the podcast, it goes a long way if you can give us a positive review on whatever platform you listen on, and also share with your friends. We'll be back next week with another great guest, so until then, Slana agus bannacht.